North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. An air of celebration in Pyongyang as the leaders of North and South Korea are claiming a diplomatic breakthrough. There is a lot of skepticism about whether North Korea is actually taking concrete steps toward denuclearization. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Tremendous progress on North Korea. Asking for a second meeting, and we will be doing that. It looks like we'll have a second summit quite soon. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. CSIS's Victor Cha, Mike Green, and Sumi Terry. In this episode of The Impossible State, we welcome back David Kang. Dave is the director of the Korean Studies Institute at the University of Southern California, and he co-wrote Nuclear North Korea, a debate on engagement strategies with CSIS's Victor Cha. The second and revised edition of Nuclear North Korea is just out. Dave joins Victor and I by phone to talk about the recent Korea summit, the UN General Assembly, and what to expect from a potential second Trump-Kim summit. We'll also talk about how the arguments that Dave and Victor lay out in their book are playing out today. Gina Haspel, the CIA director, said today that the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, will not give up his nuclear weapons easily, and he sees these as crucial leverage to preserve his government. What do you think of that, Victor? Well, I think it fits with um, a narrative that I was seeing. I spent the last week, actually, in Korea. Right. I, I was in the country during the big three-day summit. And it kind of fits with a narrative that I think is quite popular here in Washington, which is that uh, North-South Korean relations seem to be just going absolutely fabulously. Right. Um, and we saw that from the three days of summitry and all the hand-holding and the bear hugs. Atop and the mountain. Atop the mountain, you know, going to the, going up to the mountain and the lake where uh, supposedly... You know, a bear mated with something, an ostrich or something, and right. the Korean race was created there. Um, I should five thousand years ago. Five thousand years ago. I shouldn't. I shouldn't make fun. of Someone's going to get angry if I make fun of that. But no, it's a serious yeah, thing in both Koreas. Thing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's huge. The, yeah, it's yeah. one. Of, it's like a. It's like a unifying, um, you know, identity thing for them. Right. Um, but at the same time, while all that is going on. Um, uh, a lot of the information that seems to be coming out or leaking out of intelligence agencies and among experts is that there's a lot of good stuff happening in inter-Korean relations and a lot of talk about denuclearization. But if we look at what's happening on the ground, North Korea is not ready to give up anything. And what they, um, I, I mean, Dave, Dave probably would have a different, uh, not I wouldn't say different, but more of an optimistic view on this. But on denuclearization, what they said, the North Koreans said coming out of this this third summit was essentially recycling something they already did. So, Dave, are you optimistic? Um, yes, I am. And Victor is right. I, I agree it broad brushstrokes with what Victor said, uh, particularly about the uh, mythical birthright of the <laughs> Korean people. But... Um, <laughs> On on this, the thing, wait. The can, thing can we can we back up? Can you guys explain the significance of the mountain and what? Because some of our viewers may not know they they obviously yeah. saw the photo op. But what what is the significance of the mountain, the volcano, and the lake, and and the scenery that sure. the two leaders were on? Yes, and can I? This is Dave. Can I do that? Because I, this is a point that I actually made uh, while they were doing this. Is back to you know many countries in Asia have. Uh, mountains that are viewed in, in sort of sacred or spiritual terms. Mount right. Fuji, Baekdusan mm-hmm. in Korea. I mean, there's most countries have them. And for all Koreans, 
this is the mythical birthplace 5,000 years ago, Tanguna Bear came down, and etc. The origin stories are less important to me than the fact that, of course, both Koreas went there, because we often like to say, oh, the younger generation doesn't want unification. And this is, Mount, this is at, Mount Pekatu? Yeah, yeah Pekatu, yeah. right? It's called Pekatu. Right. Uh, and, if, and, if, and sure, maybe they don't want unification, but that's the wrong question. If you ask young South Koreans, is Pekatu on a Korean mountain? They say, of course it is. Right. right? I mean, this is incredibly uh, important symbolism for what it means to be Korean. And both sides basically take for granted that that's Korea. Right. Well, I mean, the photos were showed a brilliant blue sky and the deep crater lake that, that tops the volcano in the background and the two leaders toward the shores of the lake. And so, so all looked from if you just looked at the way they the, their body language seemed like the north and the south were, were quite on the road to something good. Yeah, I mean, certainly on the road to something good. I mean, what struck me most about all the imagery was really the focus on homogeneity of the Korean race, you mm-hmm. know, you know, we may be two different peoples in terms of our politics and our economics. And, you know, one is a global citizen, the other is a renegade state, but in the end, we're all Koreans. And, you know, this mountain and this lake on top of the mountain is, is sort of, you know, the, the epitome of that, of that, of symbolizing this sort of homogenous homogenous race where all these other material differences seem to melt away although in the real world they, they you know they matter a great deal but once they're sitting on top of that lake all those material differences seem to seem to melt away so did this third inter-korean summit really move the ball forward and I'll go to you first Dave uh, I actually think it did I to, to pick up on the because I think the symbolics are incredibly important for this uh, but the, a brief comment about denuclearization and then on what I think they accomplished, uh, you know, denuclearization was not the focus of this meeting. And in America, we focus on denuclearization first. And I think what Moon and Kim had clearly decided to do is talk about a willingness to denuclearize, but do a lot of other sort of confidence building or rapprochement first and put off the more thorny issue of denuclearization. And there, you got some real mill-mill, you know, military-to-military agreements to uh, potentially defuse a lot of tensions in the in the northern limit line, in the maritime disputes, and ways to potentially take some baby steps back on the DMV. So I think there was some real substance there that was discussed. Victor, I mean, I think it moved the ball forward in terms of inter-Korean relations, as Dave said. The conventional tension reduction stuff I thought was important and significant, um, and then there were all the slew of economic projects that they talked about. Right. Where, you know that, that you know that clearly is something that's all music to North Korean ears. I'm sure. Um, in in terms of denuclearization, you know, not so much. I mean, right. I, I President Trump after the summit said, "Oh, you know, big breakthrough, big deal. I'm ready to meet Kim," um, uh, but. There really wasn't anything there. The North Korean leader basically uh, agreed to um, essentially recycle the missile test site facility um, uh, and and Yongbyon, um, the nuclear complex at, at Yongbyon. So on the denuclearization side, not much progress on the ground. 
But President Trump says it's a success and he's ready to meet the North Korean leader again. And and then you have Gina Haspel, right, the head right. of the CIA, saying they're not interested in denuclearization. So, right. so uh, you know, I agree. Uh, you know, a number of steps forward on the inter-Korean stuff, but not so much. And I feel like we're, we're back in the same place, which is there's ambiguity with regard after a inter-Korean summit despite all the very positive words coming from the South Korean president, there's ambiguity about what North Korea's position really is on denuclearization. And then we're waiting for another summit between the two leaders to see if we're going to get anywhere. And and the last time, the Singapore summit really didn't get us that much further down the road. Right. So, so you don't feel that there's any real sincerity on the North's part to denuclearize? I, I mean, personally, I don't think, I mean, if I were them, I wouldn't denuclearize. I, right. I would want all the benefits that come from opening up to the outside world while keeping their nuclear weapons. I thought at their 70th anniversary speech, they were very clear that they want economic reform and uh, a better life for their people now that they have achieved security, right? Which yeah. means, you know, based on the foundation of their nuclear weapons, which is consonant with the Byungjin doctrine, which is have your nuclear weapons and have your economic development at the same time. Right. So he, he wants his cake and eat it too. Yeah, basically. My, you know, now I'm going to throw this by you. My wife has this theory that Kim, who's now become a little bit warm and fuzzy mm-hmm. to some people in the world, just really wants to step out. He wants to get a better haircut. He wants to, I, I explained to my wife <laughs> that his haircut is modeled after his grandfather's. Mm-hmm. Older. She insists. Or Brad he, Pitt in yeah, Fury. Right. The, right, <laughs> right, right. It's the same haircut. The same haircut. So, so, but she insists that he wants to step out. He wants to join and become part of the world. And he wants to continue to have warm feelings from the U.S. president, from the Korean, South Korean president, and he wants to be feted all over the world, and he wants to party, so to speak. But is he going to get any of that if he doesn't reduce the uh, the threat that he poses? Well, I mean, I, I, I'll go first. I mean, I think he's gotten, he's been able to get some of that already. Yeah. You know, this is, I mean, this is what we egghead academics would call uh, what you know, what your wife is talking about is what we would call audience costs, right? That right. now that you have an isolated leader who now has audience costs because of these meetings with Trump that were never there before. And the question is, is that going to change the way he makes calculations in the future? I mean, I you know, I'm Dave. I mean, Dave is probably less skeptical than I am. I'm more skeptical that um, that he will really truly change his ways. But in the meantime, he's enjoying all of the you know all of the benefits that are coming from the you know the nighttime stroll in Singapore and who who knows what else he'll do. Mar-a-Lago, for all we know. Well, Dave's in so- Southern California where it's beautiful, and we're here in Washington where it's pouring nonstop. So, Dave, g- I'm give us a little. I'm actually in Philadelphia right now. Oh, okay. okay. So you're feeling the same. <laughs> But Dave, bring us a little sunshine here. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, again, I would point out that to me, denuclearization is not the goal. Stabilizing the peninsula is the goal. And if that's the case, then he won't need nuclear weapons and we won't be nearly as worried about it. And as I, I like to point out to people, less than nine months ago, let's call it 10 months ago, almost anything that happened that's happening right now would have been unthinkable. If I had told you last September. Hey, you know what? In the middle of fire and fury and bloody nose and everything else, we are going to have some mill-mill stuff. We're going to have economic stuff. Uh, He will not have tested missiles or nuclear weapons for 11 months. 
And in fact, that made some symbolic. I, I admit they're symbolic, but symbolic closings of these test sites. If I had said to you that 10 months ago, people would have laughed at me for being too naive. Right. But that's where we are. Yeah. Well, what, and so I think yeah. we need to push that forward. Dave actually did say that 10 months ago, and everybody laughed at him. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, right. Okay, so worth pointing out. I know, and I'm, and I'm still bitter. <laughs> I, I, well, rightly so. But let me ask you this. What do you, what do you make of the agreement to reduce conventional forces and guard posts on both sides of the DMZ? Is this a good idea at this stage, or, uh, or, or, or what? Yeah, I mean, let, let me say, right, when, when North Korea doesn't test missiles, and it barely has a missile or nuclear capability if we go by how much the U.S. tested, for example, right? Yep. I mean, they barely have shown that they've got this capability. When they take an 11, 11-month moratorium on that, we view it as, well, whatever, it's not enough. But then when we talk about, well, for our side, let's do some minor moving of guard posts and move back 85 kilometers instead of 50 kilometers in the, in the West Sea, people shriek about how our readiness will be impaired. And I think that shows how hard it is for us to conceptualize what it means to actually reduce tension. We're like, we can't do anything. Uh, and frankly, North Korea has been doing a lot more if you, t- if you purely from a position of readiness, right? So, so I think that these are, these are steps. And, and I, I certainly don't think that uh, North Korea has uh, any intention at this point to sort of hand over all the nukes and, and account for them fully. Uh, but I'd keep pushing them that way. Uh, and I'd see how far we can get. The thing I like most about the the conventional tension reduction measures is that if we are starting to move in the direction of a peace declaration or something of that nature, my personal view is that I think for the United States, it's better off if we do that, we trade that for actual tension reduction measures on the conventional side rather than some sort of denuclearization declaration, which will be almost impossible to get from North Korea. Uh, if we can get real things for it, like you know, stability in the West Sea, or stopping you know altercations in the DMZ, or even the pullback of the artillery threat from North Korea, those would be really good things. Um, right now, we're in a situation where the South Korean President Moon, the North Korean leader Kim, the Chinese leader Xi, Putin, for that matter, are all moving in the direction of a peace declaration. Um, uh, and the United States is the one that's most opposed because we're not getting what we want on, on denuclearization, which we're not going to get by the end of this year. I mean, I don't think we're going to get anything close to what we want by the end of this year, which then makes us look like we're the obstacle to peace on the peninsula, which is not a good place for the United States to be in because we've always been the one that's been trying to undergird the peace on the peninsula. Is there enough progress for President Trump to at least claim some sort of victory here? Um, no, 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 it's not going to stop him. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, the South Korean president probably deserves some credit here. I mean, he's really pushed the ball further on inter-Korean relations. And let me just say, um, in defense of Dave, <laughs> that <laughs> not that he needs defending because he's more than capable of defending himself. But one thing, you know, one thing that we, we have to say about what he's doing, what the, North, the South Koreans are doing in terms of this North-South dialogue is that, you know, they are trying to open channels of dialogue that already exist, like, for example, between China and Taiwan, right? Or that existed between East and West Germany. But there was absolutely no dialogue between the North and the South since the Korean War. Um, And what has always made that difficult 
is the nuclear weapons, right? I mean, yeah. I don't think China would be having the sort of dialogue it has with Taiwan today, whether regardless of what you think of that dialogue, if Taiwan had nuclear weapons, right? I just don't think they would be having that sort of dialogue. So, um, you know, there, there, there is, in many ways, the inter-Korean track is so far behind other rival regimes, you know, presumably of the same country uh, that we see in, in world politics historically. So, um, there is some, you know, I think in that, in that sense, it makes sense. So, so there, there you go. One for Dave. Okay. Dave, one for you. Tell us what you think about President Trump's role in this. I mean, he said today that he received a very warm and beautiful letter from Kim Jong-un. Beautiful. It was beautifully written. Yeah. Beautifully (laughs) written. And, and, uh, that Kim Jong-un asked for a second meeting. Um, Trump's asked Secretary Pompeo to work that out. So what do you think? I, you know, you could sort of see a second Trump meeting, you know, Kim Trump summit coming from a long way away. You mentioned Mar-a-Lago before. Yeah, right. I mean, I think we all know that Trump loves this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think a second summit would a second summit would not surprise me at all. Well, right? it's made for TV. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first one was was incredible. I mean, you know, the second one might not be quite as exciting, but still, right? Like. Uh, so I'm, I'm not surprised that Trump is moving forward. And I think what what Moon has done, what Moon and Kim, frankly, have done is very carefully given enough or shown enough looseness about, you know, willingness to move on things with enough rhetoric about about real things like, say, economics or military yeah. with enough rhetoric about nukes that it that it's enough to entice another Trump summit. Um, and so I would not be at all surprised to see one one coming down the pike. Well, what should be on the table for a second Trump-Kim summit? Victor, what do you... I'm sorry, Dave, go ahead. Yeah, let me me just just jump in, because what what I wrote about... I I wrote this in a New York Times op-ed a couple weeks ago, which was the the U.S. so far has only... The only actual thing, the concession the U.S. has done, has been a postponed war game. And that the key thing for the U.S. to do is to come up with some kind of a concession to move the ball forward. Because the North Koreans are very clear that they say they're willing to denuclearize if the U.S. meets them halfway. It has never been an unconditional, we'll go first. So the U.S. needs to do something. Uh, and they can start with something. Uh, and that could be uh, you know, something about a peace declaration or blah, 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 blah. You know, this is up to the political leaders in Washington to figure out what they want to offer as a first step but it needs to be more than just one postponed war game. Uh, and that's what I think needs to be on the table from the American side. And then they can push the North Koreans to say, okay, move beyond rhetoric. See, so I think the problem here is that we know what the North Koreans are going to ask for, right? They're, they, it's not so much the peace declaration because they got everybody else asking the United States for the peace declaration. Right. What they want is lifting sanctions. That's what they're going to want for the from the United States because all those economic projects that the South Koreans and North Koreans laid out last week, you know, all those projects, none of them can move forward unless the sanctions are lifted. And so that's what they're going to be asking for the United States. Like I said, the, and I wrote about this for Bloomberg um, uh, last week, the, yes. pro- the dilemma is that if we start trading um, lifting of sanctions for a peace declaration – that doesn't make sense to me because the sanctions are for proliferation. 
So if they do stuff on proliferation, then we lift sanctions. But we don't lift sanctions for a peace declaration. Because right? it's not exactly easy once you lift sanctions to turn them back on again either. It's not. It's not. And as we've seen with China already, I mean, China's basically back to normal in terms of their commerce with North Korea. So it's good. It's really hard on the Chinese side. But what these sanctions do is they require every other UN member state to comply with the sanctions, even if China, even if China doesn't. So. Um, so I do think you know there's going to be a lot of asks of the United States at a second Trump Kim summit, and I just hope that the president understands that going in, that there's going to be a lot of pressure on the United States to give stuff that we haven't been giving before. In part, as Dave said, because it looks like we haven't given as much as the other side has. So whether it's sanctions lifting, peace declaration, you know, these these are these are you know big ticket items and. And in the end, we're not getting what we want on denuclearization, but we're going to get a lot of pressure from the South Koreans, the North Koreans, the Chinese, the Russians, not to stop up the whole process, not to block the momentum that we're seeing. Okay. okay. So if you're both advising um, this administration on what to do next, what, what do you tell them? Uh, uh, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be the first thing. Uh, hold on to your wallet. Hold on to your wallet. That would be the second thing. But I, I really think that um, if the North Koreans come at us and want sanctions lifting, uh, we should be very clear that sanctions lifting has to do with nonproliferation, that yeah. they have to take steps on nuclear weapons, not, you know, not confidence building measures, you know, not like stuff on the side, but like real hardcore, you know, proliferation stuff. That's what, that's what they need to do. And that we should keep the discussion of peace declaration focused on conventional tension reduction. That, that to me would be the path to take. It's cleaner. Those are two separate negotiations. And we don't end up in a position where we are, we look like, I, I don't think we are, I should be clear, I don't think we are, but we would look like we're holding everybody else back because we're kind of stuck on this denuclearization thing. Yeah, this little thing is this is little a, thing. Yeah, right. this little nuclear yeah. denuclearization. Yeah. Dave, jump in here. What do you think? Yeah, no, I I, I uh, basically uh, agree with Victor on this, which is in a way being more clear about the various uh, buckets that we're dealing with with North Korea. There is an awful lot of work that could be done on conventional uh, and on sort of social or whatever sports teams or whatever else that aren't sanctions related, where you can make some progress that could be showing progress to both sides, uh, even while you say we still have to work on denuclearization and uh, sanctions and all this kind of, and peace treaty. I, I totally agree with Victor as well. That for the U.S. to be involved in the, in the sort of peace declaration thing should be more than what we're doing right now. Can you I think South and North Korea are clearly in charge of that, which is fine. But the U.S., I think, needs to be a little more cautious. Can you explain the difference between a peace declaration and a peace treaty in this sense? So a peace treaty would be, uh, you know, a formal treaty ending the Korean War that would have to be ratified by our Senate, which yep. is highly unlikely, I think. Right. Um, a declaration, uh, and, 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 and peace treaty could also raise questions about the status of the United Nations Command, um, uh, U.S. forces, these sorts of things. A declaration is really a political statement. That um, and and Moon has even said that the declaration would not affect the treaty with the United States. It would not affect U.S. forces. It would not affect CFC, Combined Forces Command. So it's really just a political. It's just people saying, "Hey, the war is over." We just want everybody to know that. And 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 that. So that's very not different a real from a treaty. ratified treaty. No, 
No, it's not a real ratified treaty. And and it's not clear that if it will, you know, with I think with a treaty you'd have things like demobilization of forces, removal of the mines in the DMZ. You'd have all sorts of things, but with a peace declaration, I think you get you'll have more of these sort of I don't want to call them token, but you'd have smaller scale confidence building measures like removing some guard posts and some of the stuff they talked about last week. Do we believe that the North Koreans are sincere in any way about peace with uh, their neighbors to the south and about uh, better relations with us? Oh, I think they want better relations with the United States. You know, I, I, I mean... I I'm I'm going to sound like Dave here. I mean, I think they want better relations <laughs> with the United you States, wish, buddy. right? You wish. <laughs> I think they want that, but they want that as a nuclear weapon state. That's the difference, right? And I mean, we're well, there's no way we can accept that. I, I think it'd be very hard, very hard to accept. I don't know, Dave. Yeah, no, I I definitely think they want better relations with both South Korea and the U.S. I mean, if you think about it from Kim Jong Un or the regime's perspective. If fundamentally they're concerned about long-term survival, uh, you know, having better relations with both these countries is really key to a much more stable long-term survival, if it's done in the right way from their perspective, right? And so I think they'd, they'd be totally willing to do it uh, in conditions that don't involve them simply disarming. And that's where we get between denukes and disarm. Where do you, how do you thread that needle? So what kind of credit does President Trump deserve um, as all this is churning? Um, I mean, it's a good question. I think he deserves credit in the sense that his willingness to do these summit meetings with the North Korean leaders leader gives the South Korean president a lot of leverage. Okay, right? I think he gives you know everybody's cre- cre- you know crediting Moon, and he deserves credit. I mean, nobody is working harder on the diplomacy today the than the South Korean president, yeah. but. You know, I mean, we, you have to give some credit to Trump in the sense that if he was not willing to do these meetings, Moon would not have this big ace in the, you know, ace in his ace in the hole that he could pull out at any time, right? I mean, it's because of that ace in the hole that the North has been willing to talk to the South in these last set of talks about denuclearization, something historically they would never allow the South Koreans to talk about. They would just, you know, they would just say, speak to the hand, right? This is something that we discuss with the United States, not with you, South Koreans. So in that sense, you know, you got to give Moon's, um, you know, prominence on all this in part has something to do with Trump's willingness, rightly or wrongly, to just do these, you know, very um, highly public, flamboyant, made for TV, as you said, Andrew, uh, summit meetings. Dave, President Trump said today that he's calling for a meeting with with Kim quite soon. Is that the right move? Um, whether it's right or not, it probably will happen. You know, I, I think in some ways, if, if I were both Kim and Trump, I'd put it off for for six months or so and let the anticipation build. I really would, right? I would I would milk it for all it's worth and prepare for all it's worth. Yeah, it's kind of like Mr. hype up said, Trump, Kim, too. It's like, it's like yeah, Apollo exactly. Creed versus Rocky yeah. Three. Yeah. Yeah, it could yeah. be. Yes, you yeah. don't yeah. want to oversaturate, you know. Um, and I mean that both for, for, you know, for fun, but also for, for specifics about, uh, in pragmatic terms, about what you hope to achieve and, and give everyone a chance to even catch their breath as to really fast developments that have gone on. Um, and there I would say, also like with, as Victor was saying, that Trump's willingness to shake up the way that the U.S. and North Korea uh, interact with each other 
in ways that all the previous presidents stayed pretty much within the, the conventional wisdom has created the space for this rapid for Moon and for Kim in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think that Trump Trump deserves credit for. He's willing to consider things that most American presidents would have said uh, not yet or whatever. Do you think he's willing to consider them because all past American presidents didn't just to just to be different? I, I honestly don't know that much about Trump. I, I would say that might be a part of it. I actually if I had to guess and believe me, I don't know the guy. It's more that his he has this just innate belief in his own ability to to negotiate, negotiate deals yeah. and and to meet people, and so he thinks he can just do it, whereas other people couldn't. Well, how far have we come since the last summit? I mean, did we really get what did we really get out of the last summit up to now? Um, we didn't really get that. I mean, you mean the inter-Korean summit? No, or, or well, the, well, the well, Singapore well, summit. I was, I was referring yeah, to the Singapore yeah, summit. Yeah. What, what did we What did we get since then? Um, so I think um, I would so I would say we got some confidence building measures by the North Koreans with regard to return of POW MIA remains, the um, shutdown of the t- uh, nuclear test site, uh, and the uh, the satellite launch site. So we've gotten some you know some confidence building measures. I don't call them denuclearization because there's no outside verification, right? right? That's what, you know, denuclearization, there's outside verification. Now, in the inter-Korean summit last week, the North Koreans said they would allow relevant parties yeah. to uh, verify some decommissioning of the, of the satellite launch site. So that's, you know, that's, again, a step uh, step forward. But uh, in terms of the, if from a, the inside the Beltway Washington perspective, uh, which is just inside Philadelphia, where Dave is. There, um, there, there just is, in a cellar right away. Just in a cellar right away. There is still a view that uh, the North Koreans haven't committed to, you know, the trifecta: a declaration, yep. outside verification, and a timeline. Right. The that's the trifecta, and there's been a lot of flashing lights and mirrors and disco balls and all these other things. But when we look for those three things, we don't see we don't see that. And that I think for many people, including Gina Haspel, as she said today, that's the thing that they're concerned about. Dave, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, no, I think that pretty much sums it up. I think I think there's a lot more. I've been surprised, but also not surprised by the amount of skepticism in uh, let's call the mainstream American foreign policy, you know, views. And I can understand why, but for me, having watched this stuff closely for 20 years, 25 years, um, I'm still, I, I will take these steps forward. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is the impossible state.